The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Monday edition of PFTPM, our first show after the best two days of football ever. That is not an understatement. That is not hyperbole or an overstatement, as the case may be. That is not an exaggeration. That is not anything other than the 100% truth. Shireen, I assume you agree with me. We've never seen anything like that. Not, not, not even the Hail Mary that you experienced December 28, 1975 <laughs> can surpass the four games of craziness that we saw yesterday. 15 Total points, Mike, separated those four games. It was unbelievable. And think about what we've witnessed over the last three weeks. I said it at the time, but that Raiders-Chargers game, the final game of the regular season in week 18, was the greatest regular season game I've ever seen. Then the next week, the wildcard weekend, was a huge disappointment to me. I just thought all the games were bad. And then we get this, the greatest weekend in the history of football. The only thing I'm kind of sad about it's all downhill from here. I just don't know that the championship games and the Super Bowl can live up to what we just witnessed in these four games. Hey, that's a real concern. And I'll tell you, for the Chiefs, it's something they need to be very concerned about. And this is going to require all of the coaching skills that Andy Reid has amassed over a lifetime in coaching to get his guys to forget about the thrilling once-in-a-lifetime moment and focus on the task at hand. I think about the Minneapolis miracle from four years ago, what happened to the Vikings the following week. They got blown off the field by the Philadelphia Eagles. We've seen other memorable division around games, other than the Hail Mary because the Cowboys did beat the Rams the following week to advance to the Super Bowl. But the immaculate reception the week after that, the Steelers lost to the Dolphins. At home, the Dolphins were unbeaten and had to go to Pittsburgh because it was based on rotation in 1972, not based on home field advantage. So the challenge for the Chiefs, forget about last night, focus on the Bengals. Because, Shereen, the Bengals are good enough to win. They're not a superstar team, but they're good enough to pull it off if they can get a fluke here, a fluke there, and sustain it. The problem against the Chiefs, you've got to sustain it because they'll rip off 42 points before you even realize what the hell is going on, like the Steelers fell victim to. But the Chiefs got to get refocused quickly, and it's not going to be emotionally easy to do after what they endured last night. Yeah, no question. And the Bengals know they can beat the Chiefs because they did it just a few weeks ago. So they have that in their heads going to the game. Absolutely. The Chiefs have to move on from that game. 24-hour rule, that game's history. You move on to the next one. This is a veteran team. They've been here a bunch, as we know, fourth consecutive AFC championship game. But they don't need to look down on the Bengals and go, hey, we beat the best team in the AFC in the Bills. And and I think we probably witnessed the Super Bowl in that game yesterday. Those, to me, were the two best teams playing in football. Uh, and, and the Chiefs won that game. But if they go out and they lay an egg against the Bengals, that game's not going to matter. No, People are going to remember it, but they're also going to remember that you couldn't sustain it. You couldn't go and finish the job and win in the championship game and win in the Super Bowl. They have to finish this thing off now and not let that be their highlight of this season. Are you prepared to call yesterday's game the best non-Super Bowl ever? Or, or would you call it the best game ever, including Super Bowls? I'm willing to go with the former, best non-Super Bowl ever. Hard to call it best game ever because nobody got a trophy when last night's game ended. Yeah, I think I'm with you there, Mike. You just have to look at the stakes of the game, and the stakes were high. We all know that. It's win or go home. I get that. But it wasn't the Super Bowl. There was no trophy. It wasn't even a championship game. 
And I think if you look at probably what pe- most people agree was the greatest non-championship postseason game before this, that was probably that 81 divisional round game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs that went to overtime, Chargers 41, Dolphins 38 after the Dolphins came back from left for dead in the first half of, of that game, and they won it in overtime. And I think this game was better than that game. And the enduring I- image of that was Kellen Winslow being helped off the field. I think you and I both both remember that. I don't know how many other people do. The image of this one that I'm going to take away is, is probably Patrick Mahomes, A, running to the end zone, but then the look of Josh Allen on the bench after that game. And, and I think that's what I'm going to remember uh, at the end of this game. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think this was does surpass that game as the greatest non-Super Bowl postseason game in history. It was just – it was outstanding – 25 points in the final two minutes of regulation. It was just unbelievable. I kept, I had that game and I kept writing a lead left and right and and would have to change it every time somebody scored. So I think I had four or five different ones and then had to end up writing, obviously, the overtime post first. It was amazing how it all fell apart for the Bills and felt just right for the Chiefs. We're going to talk later about some of the coaching decisions that may have left something to be desired over the weekend. One of the images that burned in my brain, and I tweeted this half-jokingly, it was after the Bills went ahead the first time in the final minute of the game, uh, or in the final two minutes of the game, rather. I, I, I He was so fired up and so animated. I, I thought, just let this guy play defense. Just he's good. He's he's physically talented enough to play uh-huh. safety, defensive back, linebacker. Put him out there. This guy is a, a beast physically, and he was so motivated. He was so focused, and it was hard to see him not get an opportunity to get out there on the field and show us what he could do in overtime. He took the high road after the game uh, about overtime. Yeah, they got to make their plays during the game. I I, I get that. I I respect him for saying all the right things. Let everybody else complain about the overtime rule, and plenty of people are complaining about it. And, you know, Shereen, I've been looking at the box score of that playoff game you mentioned from early 1982, just a week before the catch game, by the way. I can't remember whether or not the Chargers scored a first-drive field goal in that game. They won it with a 29-yard field goal from Rolf Benerski, who was the host of Wheel of Fortune for a brief period of time. There's your... Well, uh, or very uh, obscure trivia <laughs> yeah. of the day. I just I, I need to find a more detailed box score to see if actually they did that on first drive because it, it didn't become a thing until 2009 with the Vikings and the Saints. When the Saints win the toss in overtime, they had a decent return. They get a couple of first downs, a couple of questionable calls. Next thing you know, you're in range for a field goal. You'll walk off, and it's got kind of an unsatisfying feel to it. They – Changed the overtime rule just a bit, but obviously we still have the first drive touchdown capability. And I think that if they never change it, well, let me rephrase that. If they don't change it after last night, they never will change it. Because I think last night, we've seen it happen four or five times since the rule changed, where you had a walk-off touchdown in overtime of a playoff game. Last night, though, I think it reached a critical mass of dissatisfaction and a sense of unfairness because I think whoever wins that toss is scoring a touchdown to win the game. Whichever team gets the ball in that overtime session is scoring the touchdown. So they need to have a way that's more fair, that takes the coin toss out of it, that either brings strategy into it or gives both teams an opportunity to possess the ball. I just don't know what the right solution is. All I know is what they're doing now. Created a result last night that I think left a lot of people wanting more. Oh, no question about it. And guess what? Guess the team that proposed a rule change in 2019 to allow in the postseason for both teams to get the ball. That would be the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Bills were one of the teams that said no to that. And that kept getting tabled and tabled and tabled. And you actually got Clark Hunt to to say, hey, I think we can get this passed, but it's going to be for the postseason only. I think people would be happy with that. Some change to the rule for the postseason. I'm fine with the regular season with the way it is. I get it, especially now that it's 17 games. I have no problem with with keeping keeping overtime the same in the regular season but in the postseason it needs to change both teams need to be at at minimum be guaranteed a possession if you're going to keep it somewhat similar 
But I even like the college rule better. And, and I know MDS has proposed and the Ravens did the, the spot and choose a proposal that way. Anyway, some way to make it better than what we saw that left us wanting more. And I remember when Tom Brady took the Patriots down and, and scored. I was left wanting to see Patrick Mahomes get an opportunity then. Yesterday, I wanted to see Josh Allen get an opportunity to match what Patrick Mahomes had done. And you're right. With both of those defenses spent 25 points in the final two minutes, Whoever won that coin toss was going to win that game. And maybe they just, the Bills should have tried an onside kick to get the ball because they were going to score wherever they were. I had forgotten that we spoke to Clark Hunt at the league meetings, the last league meetings before the world turned upside down three years ago, where he actually got access to people and had a chance to discuss these things. And he did have some optimism that they would be able to change the overtime rule for the postseason. And that's uncharacteristic because a lot of times what happens a team gets burned by a bad rule and they are not inclined to lobby against that rule because there's this loose sense next time around we're going to benefit and next time around the chiefs benefited maybe that's why josh allen isn't complaining next time around maybe the bills benefit (laughs) the packers have been stung by it twice back-to-back years 2014 nfc championship in seattle 2015 division round game in Arizona. Packers have been stung twice. Patriots have had it fall to their advantage twice. Maybe the Bills next time around will get it uh, to work for them, assuming it's not changed. And I I really do think there is some momentum to get it changed, Shireen. I've heard the argument in the past that the rule needs to be the same in overtime for the regular season and the postseason. Sims and I talked about this earlier today. That's nonsensical because you have ties potentially in the regular season, not in the postseason. So it's already different. It's already different. So it's fine to have a different procedure in the regular season and in the postseason because in the postseason, it's win or go home. In the postseason, you need to have somebody who emerges as the victor. There's a lot of different ways it could go. I've got my my two-point conversion penalty shot type idea where you go back and forth. And I think the XFL may be using that again. I know they used it their last time around, but they never actually used it in a game. But that was part of their rule procedures. The spot and shoes that the Ravens proposed that MDS, as you mentioned, first thought of 20 years ago. But something to be fair. Not not more fair, just fair. I want fair because right now it's unfair. I just want something that is fair and equitable for both teams, so the better team has a chance to win, not the team that just happens to get the coin toss to go their way. Well, and it was dramatic the way that game ended yesterday. There's no question about that, but it just left you wanting more. I wanted more, and I still want more, and I would love to see those games play again Sunday and play the Sunday after next. I mean, you look at what they've done in the postseason over the last two postseasons. It's been really fun to watch. But I just wanted more. I wanted Josh Allen to get another opportunity. And I feel I don't know Josh Allen. I've never rooted for Josh Allen. But I really felt badly for him, the way he played, especially in the fourth quarter and especially in the last two minutes, that he didn't get one more opportunity to pull the Bills out and give them a chance to, to extend the game. And then if it ends after that, I'm okay with it. He would have gotten his opportunity. But I just was left wanting more. There really was nothing like it. It was a display by the two best quarterbacks currently in the NFL. I know that when the MVP votes are released, it's going to be most likely Aaron Rodgers first, Tom Brady second, maybe nobody else getting any MVP votes. None for Patrick Mahomes, none for Josh Allen because of their body of work in the regular season. But last night showed how good they are because they are complete quarterbacks. They can run vertically. They can run horizontally and extend plays. They are magicians when it comes to escaping from pressure. And then they can throw the ball with a laser-fast release from any arm angle, any body position, and... Some of the balls that Josh Allen threw last night were just incredible. I mean, we've we've seen Mahomes do his thing, and we've seen Allen do it from time to time. But the throw last night that he threw from his 17 that was caught at the other 17 that was not your typical high-arcing deep pass, but it really had some velocity and a flat angle to it, that was incredible. That was incredible. His throw to Gabriel Davis after Mike Hughes fell down, that thing was a rope. I, I, I don't know how Gabriel Davis catches that. I mean, Gabriel Davis needs to be praised 
nonstop for what he was able to accomplish yeah. with four touchdown passes on a night when Stephon Diggs did not much of anything other than take out a guy who got onto the field and was about to break a city ordinance, as Mike Curtis once said. But between Allen and Mahomes, they're clearly the best two. We have found the new Tom Brady-Peyton Manning rivalry. We can only hope that they cross paths every postseason, hopefully every regular season, hopefully every postseason for as long as they're both playing. And you know what you hope for, Mike? I think Joe Burrow is going to enter that conversation, and then you've got three of those guys because hopefully this game, it's not going to be exactly like that. I mean, I'm, I'm just holding my breath that it's close to that, and if it's close to that, I think we're going to feel really good about it. But Joe Burrow has the potential to match Patrick Mahomes, and I hope we see another version of what we saw yesterday between the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday, and we get to see Joe Burrow make kind of his statement that I'm here to stay, and this is going to be a long rivalry from here on out because I think that's what Josh Allen showed yesterday is he's going to be here for a long time. The Bills are going to have chances to win Super Bowls, and I know they're tired of hearing that, especially with what happened in the 1990s. They kept losing in the Super Bowl. They are due, but Bills fans, be patient. I know it's hard today. You're going to win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. I feel really confident in saying that. I don't know that that's going to make many Bills fans feel better today because you never know what's going to happen. And, hey, hey, I know. Brian Dayball, if he ends up becoming the new head coach of the New York Giants and there's some momentum, some steam pointing in that direction, you got to find a new offensive coordinator. Sean McDermott's a defensive coach. That could take some time next year. That could require an adjustment. And one of the, one of the big takeaways for the Bills, Sims and I talked about this earlier, they got to take care of business in the regular season. They need to have the Chiefs yep, that's come exactly right. to their stadium. You can't keep going back into our head and expecting to win against a team that good. You've got to bring them on the road. And I know the home field advantage has subsided. We saw the home teams this weekend go one and three. But the one team you don't want to have to go into their building in January who have shown they can win there. Remember the Chiefs not long ago were struggling to win playoff games at home. They have shown that they know how to win at home. They take full advantage of the noise. They are very difficult to beat there. You don't want to have to go there. And that's, that should be the main priority for the Bills, Shireen. 2022, win enough games so you are the team that has home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And the Chiefs, the Bengals, whoever has to come to your building. Well, they just had some unfathomable losses in the regular season. And remember at one point, Mike, we were arguing over whether the Bills or the Patriots were going to win that division. It certainly looked like the Patriots had a really good chance, especially after they beat the Bills in Buffalo, throwing only three passes. They've got to be better in the regular season. They've got to get that home field advantage. As you said, it just makes such a huge difference. If that game was in Buffalo, I really would have liked the Bills' chances to pull that out in regular not have it go to overtime, win the game, and and have home field advantage again. They would have had the championship game. Whether they won or if they won yesterday, they still would have had the championship game at home. But you want to be assured that you're going to have every playoff game at home. You want that first round bye if you can get it. It didn't serve the two teams this year very well. But you do want that. And you do want home field. Like you said, you don't want to have to go to air ahead of all places. By the way, early 1982, Chargers and the Dolphins, when they went to overtime, Rolf Benerski initially missed a 27-yard field goal. 27, are you kidding me? A 27-yard wow. field goal? That's Blair Walsh-type stuff. Then, Uwe von Schaumann. You remember him, Shireen? Yeah, Chargers fans sure would like to forget him because, <laughs> uh, actually, Dolphins fans, excuse me, he missed, he had a field goal blocked 11 minutes plus into overtime. Then the Chargers got it down the field, and Benerski made the 29-yarder, which probably induced some chest pains wow. considering he had missed the 27-yarder. So it wasn't a first-drive walk-off field goal. But back in those days, field goals weren't as automatic as they are today. I feel like kickers are getting better. I feel like field goals are less uh, likely to go wide or left. We saw some strange misses. We saw Matt Gay come up short on a 47-yarder yesterday, which was just bizarre. We saw Ryan Suckup miss a kick. But for the most part, especially when the, the game is on the line, we're seeing these guys nail their kicks. So uh, it's good that a walk-off field goal, very good that a walk-off field goal won't let a team advance in the postseason. Now we need to make sure a walk-off touchdown won't let it happen. 
was Sunday and Saturday night, the last that we have seen in the National Football League of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, respectively. We'll take a look at that question when PFTPM continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I mean, I did not think we'd be talking about this after this game, but, right. uh, you know, I'm going to take some time and, and uh, have conversations with the folks around here and then take some time away and make a decision, um, obviously, before free agency or anything kind of gets going on that front. But, you know, it's uh, it's fresh right now. It's It's, you know, a little shocking for sure. I don't want to be a part of a rebuild uh, if, you know, if I'm going to keep playing. So uh, a lot of decisions, you know, in the next couple of months. I haven't put a lot of thought into it. So, you know, we'll just take it day by day and see, kind of see where we're at. Truthfully, guys, I'm thinking about this game and I'm not thinking about any past five minutes from now. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, after their losses that ended their 2021 seasons, respectively, not committing to anything for next year. I want to start with Tom Brady because I'm still astounded, Shereen, that so many people are nonchalant about this notion that came up in the past four or five days that Brady may not play next year. Where'd this come from? He said over and over and over again throughout the season, I'm playing through 2022. I'm, and he said before that, I'm playing until I'm 45. We've known all along that next year is the target. He started saying this year that he may play a year or two beyond that. At one point, he talked about playing until he was 50. So this idea that, oh, he remains noncommittal, that was the ESPN report yesterday, remains noncommittal. He wasn't noncommittal. He was committal. He was in. So I don't know what changed. I don't know what the end game is here. There's speculation that his wife, Giselle Bunchen has said, that's it, that's enough, no more for you. Um there's some talk that maybe this is just kind of a subtle leverage play to get more of the things that he's looking for by way of input on personnel, receivers, et cetera. What's the team going to look like? I don't know. I don't get it. I just think it's odd that we've gone from being led to believe by Tom Brady himself. Now, he said back in June on the shop with LeBron James and company that 90% of the things he says publicly are lies, so who knows. But – I just think it's so odd that he had said over and over again he's going to play through 2022, and now it's moved into the undecided category. Well, and he said it repeatedly, as you said, Mike. This isn't something that he said, oh, you know, changed his tune before, that I'm going to wait until the end of the year. I mean, he he signed that extension for through next year to help them with the cap, but also he said he'll play until the 2022 season ends and then he'll reevaluate where he is. So something has changed. Could it possibly be that maybe he's been worn down by Bruce Arians and perhaps that he wants Byron Leftwich or somebody else to get the head coaching job? Perhaps he wants more say in personnel. Who knows what he wants? Maybe his wife does want him to retire. Maybe she thinks it's time for him to spend more time at home. I can't see him walking away from football, maybe walking away from the Bucks, but I can't see him walking away from football the way this season ended. I mean, that's not how you envision Tom Brady leaving. Like when he threw the pick six, his final pass in New England, I knew that wasn't the end for him. He wasn't going to go out on a pick six. He was going to go somewhere else and win a Super Bowl. He's done that. Maybe he should have walked away after last season on top like Peyton Manning did, like John Elway did, but he didn't. So I can't see him leaving after the way this season ended. May not be with the Bucs. But I think he's going to give it a go once again. He's going If it takes telling Giselle, I need one more opportunity at this before I call it quits, because it's not like he can sit out a season and try to come back. If he's going to do it, he's got to be all in for 2022. I think we're going to see him back, but I'm not positive we're going to see him back with the Bucks. I can't imagine him playing with a different team. The family seems to be very happy in Tampa. Those are things we've heard repeatedly over the last two years. And, and – it's it's just another year of transition and turmoil, and there's no guarantee that you're going to go somewhere and find something better than what you have in Tampa, although there's a chance in Tampa 
that if they don't manage things properly, it will go the other way and the team won't be any better. I mean, look, they brought everybody back from the Super Bowl championship team. And yesterday, it was the first game all year that they had their 11 desired starting defensive players on the field together, and they got shredded by the Rams. There's a gap between the Buccaneers and the Rams, and it should not have been a tie game late in the fourth quarter. It should have been a blowout win by the Rams. So the Buccaneers are far from the the best team in the NFL. They're far from being one of the best two or three teams in the NFL right now. What are they going to do in the offseason to try to get themselves back in that conversation? And do, do you want next year to potentially be worse? than this year do you not want to make the playoffs at all next year although I think that would be a long shot I think they've got a playoff caliber team I just I don't know and I don't think we'll ever know at least not anytime soon what caused this abrupt pivot from I'm definitely playing through 2022 to I'm non-committal about it and I'm day-to-day and, you know, if you would have asked Patrick Mahomes last night, hey, are you coming back next year? Who'd have said, what the hell are you talking about? If you ask Josh Allen, you're coming back next year, what are you talking about? Of course, I'm, why is that even a question? The fact that it's even a question for Tom Brady means we need to pay close attention. There needs to be some reporting. There needs to be some effort to find out exactly what's happening. And we know, because Brady said it himself, he lies 90% of the time. So who knows what the truth is? I assume he's doing his Let's Go podcast tonight with – Jim Gray, maybe he'll have some clues in there. But uh, I can't imagine this dragging out for very long because the Buccaneers are going to have to make alternative plans at quarterback if Tom Brady, for some reason, is moving on, Shereen. I think he'll be back. I, I, I think that he's making some sort of a power play, not for money. I just think he, he wants to remind everybody in Tampa that they want him on that wall, they need him on that wall, and they're not going to have that stadium full of human beings next year if he's not there. And I think he's going to squeeze a little bit to exert some leverage to get some of the things he wants. Well, and I'm sure he's concerned when he looks at what their salary cap situation is for next year and when he looks at the free agents that they have, 25 free agents, Chris Godwin, Gronk, Fournette, Jensen, Kappa, uh, Sue, JPP, Carlton Davis. You just go down the line. I mean, it's a ton of players, a ton of starters. And and Bruce Arians said today we're going to have a hard time putting the band back together for next year. So does he look at this and go – I'm not sure I can win the Super Bowl with this team, sort of like what he did in New England. I'm not sure it's go- I'm going to be capable of carrying this team again because that defense was not the same defense as a year ago. They were not very good. They had a lot of injuries, but you saw it. They just weren't very good in th- this entire season. And I know they were playing with their starters for the first time all together yesterday, but it just didn't come together. It didn't work. It wasn't the same defense we saw in the Super Bowl that really shut down Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense and that was part of the problem too but Mike do you think it has has he is Bruce Arians worn him down enough to where he might not want to play for Bruce Arians again could that be any part of his thinking Levante David said last night that there's been a lot of turmoil with the Buccaneers this year and not having normal access by media to the locker room not having normal access with press conference, et cetera, there's a lot of stuff that goes unreported. And the Antonio Brown situation had to have been a rough time for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the way that that all fell apart from the fake vaccination card and the three-week suspension to the, the, the way that he was kind of welcome back that's what he tweeted yesterday i love a good grudge i love a good grudge i know that he probably shouldn't have done it i love a good grudge um but i feel like there's more that we don't know and and that bruce arians bluster um look i know 20 years of bill belichick was all tom brady could handle but i'd like to think after two years of bruce arians and 20 years of bill belichick brady brady understands there's a fundamental difference between the two coaches and understands why Bill Belichick has eight Super Bowl rings that he's won over the course of his career. Um, and, and maybe he's just had enough. Maybe he's reached his lifetime limit of Bruce Arians. I, I don't know. I don't know. Arians said he's definitely going to be back next year, and he's got a plan for Byron Leftwich possibly leaving to become the Jaguars head coach. He's got a second interview there. And we know that the Bucks aren't bashful about dumping a coach and elevating a coordinator. They did it to Lovey Smith. Five years ago when they made 
Dirk Cutter maybe six years ago. Dirk Cutter, the head coach. They did it to John Gruden and made Raheem Morris the head coach. They are not bashful about kicking a guy overboard and elevating a coordinator, especially like they did with Cutter when they thought that they may lose that coordinator that they valued. So you never know what's going on behind the curtain. And a lot of times you don't find out until they pull the curtain back. So who knows? I, I, I'd be surprised if anything like that happens. But because we don't have the benefit of the usual robust reporting that we would in a non-pandemic environment, we don't know the extent of the dysfunction that may be lurking within the organization. Well, and that's that's a big thing, Mike. You just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And if we had a little more insight into that, we might know what Levante David was talking about yesterday, but we don't. So we're left to wonder what's going to happen with Tom Brady, what's going to happen with this team. Are they going to be competitive? I know one thing for he and Aaron Rodgers both. I would much rather be in the NFC than the AFC based on what we've seen in these playoffs this year. I'm not going anywhere where Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow are, and you have to go through them to get to a Super Bowl. To me, it looks like there's a much easier route for both of these guys in the NFC than in the AFC. Yeah, beware Aaron Rodgers. If Nathaniel Hackett becomes the head coach of the Denver Broncos, you may not want to jump into that division in that conference when you own the NFC North, especially with the Bears and the Vikings both getting new head coaches, the Lions in year two of their latest regime change. I don't know why Aaron Rodgers would want to leave the Green Bay Packers. He says he'll take some time. He doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. Look, I've come to the point where I've concluded that Aaron Rodgers just likes being the center of attention, period. He likes to talk. He likes to hear himself talk, and he likes to hear people talk about him. That's it. And he's gotten to the point where he doesn't care about being criticized. He's so interested in being part of the conversation, being front and center, being able to set the narrative. He understands there are people who are going to criticize him. He's willing to go into that fray and push back against those who would in any way not praise him for being the smartest, the most, the most enlightened athlete of our time. I, 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 just, I don't know what he's going to do, but I think he, he likes being the center of our attention. And I can't wait, I can't wait to see what he has to say tomorrow to try to downplay the clear import of the things he said on Saturday night after that game, because it's clear he's having serious thoughts about whether or not he's going to return. And uh, we'll know sooner than later what he's going to do. He said by the start of free agency, yeah, because he's going to be looking for another team if he decides he's not going to stay with the Packers. Well, let's hope it's sooner than later. I mean, that didn't happen last year, and this thing dragged out until the 11th hour before training camp hey, started. Hey, so that's good I, for business. That's good for business. Take your time, Aaron. That's true. It no, is you don't good. have to make a decision it by the middle of March. Take, take as long as you want. Take as long. Take all the way up until the start of training camp if you want. I've got no complaints about that. Well, and, you know, Rogers seemed to indicate that his relationship with the team, with the front office, has improved since then. That he made it sound like, Mike, I got the feeling over the last two weeks before this loss that he was going to come back and he was ready to come back to Green Bay and realize that the grass wasn't necessarily greener somewhere else. Look, every team has problems and some. With owners, because Packers don't have an owner, have more problems than what the Packers have. So when you start really assessing the positives on one side and the negatives on another, I don't know that there is a better situation for him than Green Bay. With the division they're in, with everything else that goes into that team, with the fan support, with everything. I mean... To me, there's not a better situation that he can go to and have a chance to win. Like I said, I'm not going to the AFC if I'm Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. I'm staying in the NFC because I think I have a better chance to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl than having to go through those guys in the AFC. Best way the Packers can keep him in place is to approach him right now with a major contract offer, fully guaranteed. How about two years, $100 million? You know what? That sounds ludicrous. Patrick Mahomes makes $45 million a year. Josh Allen's making 43. Dak Prescott's making 40. Aaron Rodgers, wire-to-wire the best quarterback in the NFL this year, although last night Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes may have changed my mind. But he's making Jared Goff money at $33.5 million. I really do think if the Packers want to keep him, I've said this before and I don't want to lose sight of it, the easiest way to do it is show up at his doorstep with a gigantic pile of money that will make the decision for him. That in the 
offering of that contract, not only the money talks, but it also basically says Jordan Love is a guy who's going to languish on the bench until we trade and we're never going to play him. Two years, $100 million, fully guaranteed at signing. That's not a ridiculous number. That's not an unfair number. That's fitting. And also in Green Bay, it's not like they have some owner who is stuffing all that money into his or her pocket. It's publicly owned. And they've made a lot of money off of selling money for nothing stock certificates. They've got the $100 million that they can give to Aaron Rodgers for two more years if they want to do it, Shereen. Well, and I would also approach him, Mike, and give him some say in the offensive personnel. Who do you want? Now, obviously, we know he's going to want to keep Devontae Adams, but they can franchise tag him. They certainly have a challenging salary cap situation. We know that. They're the second most over the projected cap for next year, behind only or in front of, however you want to refer to it, the Saints. So they've got some work to do on that front, but we all know you can do stuff to to make the cap work for you. They can do what they want to do. So franchise tag Devontae Adams, show up with that check, and tell Rodgers, hey, we'll work with you. Who do you want at receiver? Who do you want at running back? Who do you want in the offensive line? How can we improve this? How can we make this better for you? How can we get over that hump to win in the postseason to go to the Super Bowl and when you use second Super Bowl. We realize it's been 11 years since that's happened. So that's what they need to do. Give him some say in that area as well. Last point real quickly before we take a break. I wrote about this earlier today. But when you consider that the Packers made a half-hearted effort at getting Odell Beckham Jr. They made him an offer they knew he wouldn't accept. They really didn't want him. Now, they placated Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers at the time said, hey, I'm just glad they tried. I don't think they tried all that hard. They didn't do what the Rams did where you had – this multi-level effort to show OBJ the love, as he said. They could have used Odo Beckham on Saturday night. They could have used Odo Beckham in this run-up to the postseason, getting him up to speed and having him ready to go, because other than Devontae Adams, there wasn't much contribution by any of the other pass catchers. The Buccaneers could have used OBJ. Remember the flippant remark from Bruce Arians? Too many initials. We got AB, we don't need OBJ. Well, part of it is he may help you, And he's definitely not going to help one of your competitors. The Rams have OBJ. They're still alive, and they're feeling pretty good because he's done well for them. Bucks and Packers out wondering what may have been. We're going to take a break. When we return a little Monday afternoon, quarterbacking of key coaching decisions that were made in the divisional round. We'll do that next here on PFTPM. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. How was Cuff able to get so open? Did you have a blitz on? The last play? Yes. Yes. You just going for broke there? or uh, We just, some guys didn't blitz. I don't know if we didn't get the call, but it wasn't, it was an all-out blitz. We should have got a ton of pressure. No regrets, and I think everybody did get going back looking at it. We just we didn't have everybody got the call. Um, I was wrong about that. They all got the call. We had Sue come up the middle. We just we got to cover better in that situation when we're going after the quarterback. They only need like possibly twelve yards for that field goal. So I don't question that call whatsoever. But uh, when we do that, we got to get to the quarterback. So they all got the call. They didn't get the call. Regardless, they called an all-out blitz, and the result speaks for itself. You can say, I don't regret it. Well, you put the Rams in range for a chip shot field goal to win the football game by calling that. And, Shereen, I'm trying to figure out what the Bucks were really trying to do there. Did they think they were going to yeah. force Matthew Stafford into a mistake, interception, a fumble? Did they think he would wilt under the pressure? Did they also want to force the issue there? because they feared going to overtime against a Rams team that had outplayed them all day long, that if they got the opening kickoff of the extra session, they would have just driven right down the field and scored a touchdown to win the game. I don't know, but they decided strategically and deliberately to force the issue at a time when maybe the better play would have been go into a shell and and take the momentum that you had developed, erasing a 27-3 deficit into overtime. Well, it's weird to me that 
Arians changed his tune because Levante David basically backed him up last night and said it was a miscommunication. And if you watch the video, if you watch where Levante David was, it was 10 people on defense. He was in no man's land. He was not blitzing. He was not defending. He was standing there watching in the middle of the field, five or seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, doing nothing. So it was 10 men on defense against against the Rams and by the way you left Cooper Cup one-on-one with Winfield to try to stop him that's just a mismatch it was just a I don't know if it's execution or decision making or whatever it was miscommunication whatever you want to call it but it didn't work and I would advise them never to do that again against the best receiver in the league who's going to win offensive player of the year you definitely want to know where Cooper Cup is at all times. So I don't know what their strategy was, but it didn't work. And, and it was dumb, whether it was execution or whether it was play call or whatever it was, they got what they deserved on that play. Yeah. Hey, look, it was a great decision. It was a great play call. Strategically, this is exactly what we needed to do. We just got to get to the quarterback. Well, the fact that you didn't get to the quarterback shows that it wasn't a good decision. Exactly. Because you're putting all your eggs in that basket. This isn't a normal play where, hey, we'd like to get to the quarterback and sack him before, before he finds an open man. Your coverage is going to be restrained. It's going to be affected. It's going to be limited by the fact that you're sending all these guys. I mean, Greg Williams got fired for that nonsense in, in New York during the final Adam Gase season when he called the, the zero blitz against the, the Raiders. So I, I just think the whole thing was ridiculous and is ridiculous and – I'm trying to figure out what the real play is here. And I wonder whether or not they, they feared losing in overtime. So they wanted to try to rattle Matthew Stafford and get him to maybe throw a ball up for grabs, get an interception, get a short field, and try to win the game then and there without playing for overtime. But regardless, it's pass-fail and the end result after this play. And there's, there's the pressure getting there late. And there's Cup behind Antoine Winfield Jr. And that's night-night for the Bucks after they roared back from down 27 to three, the Tennessee Titans, this is something Sims and I were talking about earlier today. And I think Sims is on the money with this Deontay Foreman, who did a great job, perfect find by John Robinson, a guy who had over 2000 rushing yards in a single season with the Texas Longhorns, went to the Houston Texans, never worked out, kind of bounced around the league. He was great for the Titans after Derrick Henry suffered his injury. Foreman had burst yesterday. Foreman had pop. Foreman jumps off the film when you watch the highlights of the game. Four carries, 66 yards, 16.5 yards per carry. Derrick Henry, 20 carries, 62 yards for him. Henry didn't have that kick. And I know that from times, time to time, it's like Henry, Henry needs to just get through the first level and then take off. He still didn't explode into the, into the, the first level the way that we're used to, and he definitely wasn't exploding the way Deontay Foreman did. So, Shereen, I think the challenge is, and, and I, like Mike Vrabel's our coach of the year. I, I'm not regretting that. But I think the challenge is to have people in place who during the game, while it's happening, can spot something like that and say, Foreman is our guy today. Foreman has more pop today. Foreman has more bursts today. We need to give the ball more to Deontay Foreman. If they would have done that, maybe they would have won the game. I was tweeting it the entire game, and I don't think that Foreman is a better running back than Derrick Henry. He's not. But you know what? On Saturday, he was. He had. He was everything that, that Derrick Henry was not. And I wondered watching that game why they didn't have some plays like the Cowboys have with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, especially when Zeke had his knee injury, why wouldn't you have some plays with them both in the backfield to really give you some options? Because guess what? The Bengals are going to focus on Derrick Henry simply because of the reputation. So why wouldn't you have plays with both of them and give Foreman the ball? And I think you would have seen more of that in this game the way he was running. He was outstanding. He didn't get enough touches. I think if he got more touches, the Titans would have won that game. If he had gotten more, Henry gets less, 
they win that game. And it's not often I'm going to say that, but Henry just wasn't the same back coming off that foot injury with that metal plate in his shoe. He just didn't have it the way he has had it over the last couple of seasons. And this season when he had almost a thousand yards before going out in the eighth game with that foot injury. So they needed more foreman. They didn't have it. So they're sitting at home watching the rest of the postseason. A very important question. What is more difficult for you? Tweeting compliments about a former Texas Longhorn, <laughs> yeah, true. given your loyalty to the Texas A&M program, or, or tweeting out compliments about Kyler Murray. Which one's more difficult? Oh, I think Foreman. I think the Longhorns, yeah. 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 Uh, regardless, I think you're right on the money, and it's a shame that the Titans didn't recognize it because for their sake, they could have won. For the Bengals' sake, hey, whatever it takes, they get the victory and they move on. The Bills. Now, now this this may sound a little kooky, and I know that the onside kick rules have changed. I, I think back to, was it a Colts-Chiefs game when Dick Vermeil was the coach in Kansas City where they actually, the Chiefs actually kicked onside because they knew they couldn't stop the Colts? Am I remembering that? It got to the point where they had no chance one. of stopping the Colts during the game, and they eventually just said, screw it, we're going to kick onside because we're not going to stop the Colts anyway. I kind of remember that. It, it's, it's possible I'm misremembering it, but I remember that happening at one point. Anyway, I mentioned all that because Kansas City, Buffalo, Bills lose the toss to yeah. start overtime. Chiefs want the ball. And, I, and again, I know it's harder to recover a surprise onside kick than it used to be because of the the pre-kick motion that's limited. You can't get the running start and the positioning of the players. But you know what? If they Hey, you could make the argument the Bills should have just said, screw it, let's try to get the ball, let's yeah. try to get possession. Because if you do get possession, you only need a field goal to win. All that's required is the Chiefs have an opportunity to possess the ball. If the Bills onside kick and recover, a field goal wins it. Not that they wouldn't have scored a touchdown. But I think it's fair to ask that question. If they don't change the rules... In a situation like that in the future, should a team just say, screw it, we're going to kick onside? I, I think it's something worth considering. Yeah, well, you look at what the Saints did in the second half of the Super Bowl and got the ball. So sometimes those surprise onside kicks can work, obviously, better than the one that you know is coming. And no one would have expected it at that point. But even if the – let's say the Chiefs recover that, Mike, right? Your defense is spent. So you just tell your defense, look – you just have to play hard here and try to hold them to a field goal or three and out or whatever you have to do. But you're not asking them to start downfield and try to hold them out. It just wasn't going to happen. And it probably wasn't going to happen if they got the ball there. But maybe they're, they give a little more in those downs because they're already almost in field goal range to say, hey, we've got to give three good plays here. Let's get good pass rushes on Patrick Mahomes. And maybe, just maybe, something can go our way in this. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If they get in field goal range and kick it, you get the ball back. If they score a touchdown, you're done, which they did anyway. So you weren't going to stop them. I think it's a legitimate question to ask. Should they have kicked an onside kick? Because if you recover it, you, you obviously you're going to probably win the game. And if you don't, you're going to have the same outcome you had anyway. I'm a big proponent of the 4th and 15 alternative to the onside kick. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of the 4th and 15 play generally as a replacement for a kickoff because you can punt out of that formation. You can run a fake punt, which simulates the old surprise onside kick. You can put your offense out on the field, which simulates the deliberate, intentional, everyone knows it's coming onside kick. Or if you want, and there's a twist that I've always been fascinated by, you could do the Ben Roethlisberger, Randall Cunningham quick kick and surprise the defense if they think you're actually trying to convert fourth and 15. You punt it over everyone's head and you change possession that way. There's so many different things you can do. But think about if that was the rule for all kickoffs last night when the Bills have to kick fourth and 15. The way Josh Allen was playing last night, I may have taken my chances. Yeah going for it on 4th and 15, but uh, these are things that may or may not become part of the fabric at the NFL rulebook in the future. Last one real quickly. Packers special teams. Not a shock that they stunk, and they stunk it up on Saturday night. They cost the Packers the game. The block punt, definitely. The block field goal before the end of the half that kept the Packers from going up 10 nothing. Ten guys on the field, 
for the field goal try. Are you kidding me? That's inexcusable to have 10 guys on the field for the game deciding field goal try. Why, why didn't they do anything to fix it during the season? Is it arrogance? Is it what, what is it? Is it incompetence? It's amazing to me, Shireen. Yeah, I just don't think they've made it a priority since Ted Thompson was the GM there. I just don't think it's been a priority for this organization. And, you know, Rick Goslin does those annual special teams coaches. Look at those, those annual rankings of special teams. They were 32nd on his rankings. As Kyle Shanahan said, this is the one time we have an advantage in the special teams. And they did the first team in 33 years to block a kick and a, a field goal and a punt in a postseason game. So pretty amazing. They changed special teams coaches after last season. Now they might change it again. The previous seven special teams coordinators that they have had have either been fired or forced into retirement. They could have a new one going into next year if they decide to move on from Maurice Drayton. But they've got to make it a priority. It can't, it's not really about the coach. They've gone that route. It's about making special teams a priority. And maybe that means playing some of your, some of your starters on special teams as well, Mike. Hey, I, th- th- that look, it exposes guys to additional risk of injury, and that's the drawback. But if you use your absolute best players, your most important plays, it's one-third of the game. Jimmy Johnson was a big proponent, one-third of the game, the special teams, and you can see what it does to your season in a single elimination setting. I mean, the problem with the Packers is they just get in that single elimination setting and they find a way to have it all fall apart, whatever it was. And it was special teams this time around. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, some coaching buzz, including the question of whether or not Sean Payton will be back with the Saints. We'll be right back. No, Sean, we don't know. You know, who knows? (laughs) We'll find out soon enough, I guess. I don't think any of us know, but he'll let us know soon enough. I'll have what she's having. Gail Benson. Gail Benson's in a hell of a mood. I kind of like it. She may be losing her head coach, but she's in a damn good mood. I want to live life that way, Shireen. Uh, Will she be living life without Sean Payton as her head coach? Sunday Splash Report, and he's the one who coined that term several years ago because he was the subject of Sunday Splash Reports every year for a stretch there, the middle of the last decade, that he may be leaving. He may be leaving. I used to joke, let's just report it every year. Eventually, it's going to be right. Could it now be that he's leaving? There's some talk out there about Fox maybe wanting to hire him if Troy Aikman jumps to Amazon. I think he'd be great on TV because he will speak his mind to the chagrin of the National Football League. Uh, You know, mini retirement and then come back as coach of maybe the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But the talent isn't there in New Orleans. The cap problems continue. It wouldn't surprise me if he did choose to leave. And she doesn't seem to be all that upset about it. I didn't hear her say he's under contract. He's our employee. He's our coach. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And that's what made me have pause to, hey, maybe he's actually going to do this. Have the mini retirement. It certainly wouldn't make it easier to come back to a team. Wink, wink, nod, nod the Cowboys next year. Cowboys keep Mike McCarthy for another year and give up some draft picks to get Sean Payton in Dallas for next year. That makes a lot of sense to me, Mike. Or this year. Who knows? Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? And Jerry Jones said plenty on Friday to make me think that maybe he's, you know, because, look, he's not going to throw out Mike McCarthy unless he knows he can get an upgrade. You're not going to let the bird in the hand fly away. And we won't know any of it until it plays out. But you never know what may be going on. But something is always going on, and we'll always be covering it here at PFTPM. Have a great evening. See you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.